Welcome back, folks. Here's the Mark Steiner Show, the 24th anniversary of the Mark Steiner Show on the air. Good to have you with us here. Uh, reminding you on the way to this conversation about our schools, uh, that the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, is helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. It belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We've been covering a lot, with some intensity, what's happening with our Baltimore City Schools and this $139 million deficit. Uh, just recently, Governor Larry Hogan was on a uh, commercial radio station, WBL to be exact, um, where he offered this criticism of city schools. Uh, it was where he said millions of dollars have been wasted or unaccounted for. Uh, and to quote, to say, to just say we want the state to write us a check for $130 million with no explanation about where it's going to go or how they're going to manage it, that's not going to happen, the governor said. But I am going to sit down with the mayor and the legislature and we continue to try to help Baltimore City. So I read that because the reality is that had the state kept up with inflation and other factors in the formula, the city would be receiving an additional $290 million, not faced with a $129 million deficit. That's the reality, which we talked about here on the program just recently uh, when B.P. Verdery was one of our guests on one of our last education roundtables, where she laid out in some detail how that deficit occurred over these last years, which was not an internal problem, but an external problem. So what do we do about that? Uh, and we are joined here in studio by Sharika Bolden, Community School Coordinator for Strong City Baltimore. Sharika, good to have you in the house. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, Frank Patanella, who is Senior Advocate with the ACLU's Education Reform Project uh, and uh, BP Verdery's other half, good to, I mean, in terms of work anyway. <laughs> good to have you here, Frank. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheryl Bostas in the house, Vice President of the Maryland State Education Association. Good to have you in the studio, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. Uh, tweet us at Mark Steiner. Please join us. We want to hear your ideas. Uh, these are our students. I don't care if you're a parent, student, teacher um, in Baltimore City or Baltimore County or wherever you're listening to us from or Prince George's or Montgomery County. We want to hear your ideas at 410-319-8888 because this, as we talked about on the program the other week uh, with a state senator from Montgomery County, uh, and others from Montgomery County, is that Montgomery County has 3,000 new students a year, majority of whom are children who do not speak English as a first language. They're facing a different kind of crisis, even though they're the wealthiest county in the state. So we have a crisis in education. How do we deal with that crisis? It doesn't seem to be recognized by the political leadership. So, Sharika, where do we start? Well, <laughs> I think we start with uh, our elected officials. I, for Baltimore in particular for Baltimore City. You know, we're asking for the mayor and for the governor to get together and figure out not only how to fix this crisis this year, um, as, you know, this is something that has been happening annually. This is kind of an, an annual song and dance where yes, we have is. to come out and, and fight for funding. And so we're asking them to figure out how to fix it now this year, but also in the coming years so we, so we don't find ourselves in the same situation all the time. So, I mean, but it seems to me this is um, a couple of things are happening here. One is I really do think that 
uh, we're, this, this is a monumental crisis. This is not just a shortfall on budget. We're talking about gutting our school system here. We're talking about taking all the women, mostly women who work in our schools as, as aides who are coming, who come from the community themselves, know these kids because of the neighborhoods they're in, in elementary schools and middle schools, and getting rid of them. We're talking about laying off teachers and, and raising class sizes. We're talking about ending maybe JV sports. We're talking about ending after-school programs. We're talking about the Baltimore School for the Arts could do away with TWIGS, which is one of the most important programs in the city for middle school students who come there after school every day to learn their art, whether they go to the School for the Arts or not later. I mean, so Frank, this is, like a, this is, a, this is not just a shortfall. This is a crisis. Right, and that's the message. Sorry. Right, and that's the message that we're trying to get across to elected officials and other people that uh, serve in the legislature that don't represent the city, right? That, you know, the, the, um, the Constitution states that uh, all Maryland public school students should get a or, or guaranteed a thorough and efficient education, and that has been defined. And the inflation cut that you um, mentioned um, was a cut to the adequacy formula, right? To, and it compromises the adequacy of, of funding for our schools. So that $290 million um, is supposed to be in the budget for city schools. And I don't see how can um, you know the governor and the legislature expect city schools to provide an adequate education when they've cut the, the formula. So what is the politics of the statewide? I mean, so your, your group of teachers does not represent city teachers or the city schools. And that's really interesting to have you on this panel because you represent all the county schools around the state. So, I mean, and so where is the solidarity? What happens? Well, our, our districts across the state are... Um, you know, together we we stand with the city. We stand with everyone because, as you started, this is not just a Baltimore City issue. This is happening in every jurisdiction throughout the state. And since 2008, we've seen either decreases in funding or flat funding in many of our districts. Um, and what happened at the same time is new Common Core curriculum came in, which meant new curriculum writing, new textbooks, um, state testing park technology needs. So there were many federal and state mandates that came down that required funding and the funding never increased. So you saw direct impact to student and student programs, as you talked about, which decreases the opportunities for our students. And we have to get away from this overemphasis of testing and get back to what are the needs of our students. At the same time, we've seen great increases in poverty in many of our counties. We've seen increases in the need for mental health. So you're putting all these together, and even though the governor may have a good soundbite, I'm funding education more than ever before, it's, it's, it's hollow that the facts don't support those claims. And we can see in every jurisdiction a lack of funding, and that's why we see um, teachers leaving. Uh, we have a, a, a low um, retention rate across the state. So it is a crisis, and it's a crisis everyone is facing. But we have to look underneath and say, what are we missing? And we're missing the actual money that goes into the schools instead of these mandates. And can I add that Please, in 2008, when, when we actually had adequacy in Baltimore City, we saw that that, adequ that adequacy was reached across the state. So most of the jurisdictions were at 90% were at or above. Um, so when we get it right, we, we tend to get it right for everyone. So, and it is true, the governor has said that on this program during the Annapolis Summit, says it over and over again, that I put more money into schools than any governor before me, but the reality is we're talking about um, a formula that he has met, not that he's putting more money into it 
because of finding more money, but just he's meeting what he says is the formula needs and has met that, which is why it's higher than it was last year, but still not high enough to meet both expectations and the reality of what should be happening. And the promise to city students and, the, and, and students statewide, right? And the guarantee of a constitutionally guaranteed adequate education. That's what's missing. And he's forced to make those funding formulas because by mm-hmm. law, but he, he has neglected our geographic cost of index the first year in office. And he is taking money and putting it into private schools and through vouchers and other programs. So, you know, it's a, definitely a mixed message coming out of the governor's office when we can clearly see public education is not funded at the levels that it needs to be. In fact, the study that came to the Kerwin Commission says it's a deficit of um, $2.9 billion dollars to get us up to that adequacy level that we need to across the state. So let's talk about some of the politics here from, and then and get into what, how this could affect our kids here in the city and, then our, and, and, and beyond. So the politics of it is the governor clearly is reluctant to put more money into Baltimore City Schools. Uh, what, about the, what about the House and Senate leadership? Where are they? I mean, is there a empathetic ear about this from either Senator Mike Miller or House Speaker Michael Bush and the others? Well, we've been mostly speaking with uh, Delegate Maggie McIntosh, and she's working really hard to find room in the budget to help fill, fix this gap. What does that mean? We have not— I mean, I hear that a lot from Bob. What, well, what does that mean? The, the only thing the legislature can do is cut from the proposed budget, the proposed governor's budget. add governor's to it. Bu- not add to it. So, but know, they can move money around, right? I think there might be some rules there in terms of moving money around, but mostly it's finding room in the budget, finding where cuts can be made, and— placing those aside for Governor Hogan to reappropriate that money to, you know, the city schools. Sharika? I mean, I, I'm so, so, we, so I, I, I mean, I just pushing this idea for a moment because it seems to me that it's not a, it, the, 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 if you, if you voted today, if today was a decision, we wouldn't, it, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not very optimistic about where this is going. Well, because, need- I mean, the mayor has not come out with her plan. Right. She keeps talking about a plan, and when she was going to announce on February 27th, she did not announce it. So there's no real plan from the city yet about how what their contribution is. I don't, I, I, and it, unless I'm missing something, I'm not seeing a lot of like cross-jurisdictional alliances being made to ensure the city gets its money, uh, as well as dealing with the entire way we structure education. Right. Well, I financially think, speaking, well, I, Delegate McIntosh is working with lawmakers, especially those on her uh, the appropriations committee. Um, we had a big rally of over three thousand people that came to Annapolis. We had county legislators show up, um, including uh, De, uh, Rich Madaleno um, of Montgomery well, County, Montgomery county supporting us. So you know there is uh, there are county uh, legislators that are supporting us. Um, we know that the mayor and the governor met yesterday. We haven't gotten an update on what was negotiated, what was said, where they're heading. Um, you know, these negotiations just always happen behind closed doors. And, you know, when they're ready, when they're both ready with their numbers, they're going to come out and, and let us know. But we still have to put pressure on them, right? Um, that's what we're doing. That's what we've been doing week in and week out with um, just a myriad of actions and a lot of, a lot of other groups that are participating in um, putting pressure on, on them. But, Mark, I hear the, the sense of urgency that, that, that you're speaking to. Dr. Santelisa said that great that these negotiations are happening, but she needs to know by April 1st what the funding commitments are. And I'm hopeful that things don't drag out that far. We're still here uh, at the beginning of March. and I'm hoping that there's a solution prior to that, but 
there absolutely is a sense of urgency to figure this out and figure it out now. And I can say that um, our from our viewpoint, our, our leadership in the General Assembly has been supportive of public school education. And they have pushed the governor and put some stop gaps from him from cutting things. But overwhelmingly, Marylanders, and a recent Gonzalez poll shows 83% of Marylanders want increased funding for public schools. And 73% support closing the corporate loophole um, and raising taxes on our state's highest income earners. And so those are some things that we could see through legislation that would help steer some of that money towards public education. Um, it might not happen as urgent as we need it right now for Baltimore City, but these are avenues that we can look at because Marylanders support funding for public education. We know that we're grounded in a, a good school system. I mean, I guess part of this, maybe throw a couple things out that are kind of my worries about this and see what you all think in very honest ways here. Um, in the state of Maryland, people look at Baltimore, some people look at Baltimore, as a quote-unquote black hole of finances. And, and also race plays a factor here. I mean, this is a majority black city where the school system is overwhelmingly African-American children. Um, and a lot of people, there are people in the state who don't care about that, who don't care about black folks or care about the education of our kids in the city. I mean, that's part of the, the battle as well. To say it's not is we're putting our heads in the sand. So that's why I'm trying to see where we are politically with this to say, you know, wh where does this go? I mean, we have a city where the vast majority of children come out of um, some of the worst urban poverty in the history of modern America. Uh, and we have to recognize that and say this, we, the, the needs are great here in terms of getting our children uh, an equal footing so they can compete in this world. So, man, so how, do you, those kind of words, how do you make those kind of arguments? As someone, I, I taught 14 years in a Title I school in Baltimore County, not Baltimore City, and I would agree with you. For, for a, a, a large part of our state, what happens in Baltimore City is not my, necessarily my backyard right. if I'm in Garrett County or if I'm in the Eastern Shore. So what happens there? This is a central city of our state. This is the, the flagship of our state that we all have to have concern about. And we see more concentrated poverty, as you, as you said. And I think we have to say, what can we do, all of us do, to improve the lives of our students? But that's going to also include jobs. It's not just an education. It's a whole societal fix. It's, it's jobs. It's, um, you know, rehabilitation when we see parents who are in crime or there's drugs and things involved. So we have to take a systemic approach. Um, one of uh, Delegate Washington, one of her approaches right, also— Washington from Baltimore City. Yes, I'm right. sorry, is a community school to bring the entire community in so that we recognize and bring all the services into a school. And that's a successful model. But you're right. We as an entire state have to look and, and not leave anyone— um, I, I hate to use the phrase, not leave anyone behind or, or, or make sure everybody is brought up to a level where— but we don't recognize that throughout the state. I, I would tend to agree with you. Should yeah. we go ahead? And, well, I would say that the politics of it all are rather exhausting and nauseating. I mean, to me, I think it's ridiculous that it's, it's 2017 and we're asking families to fight for the basics of education. I mean, I was, I was looking at some stuff over, over the weekend, um, looking at some visuals from the civil rights movement, and I put those against what I see happening now in our city. So we have our children out, they're marching, we're parading them around, we're mm. rallying. Um, 
and I wonder how much progress have we made. It looked exactly like the picture that I saw from 1964. And so I think we can hide behind the numbers. We can throw figures around. We can talk about budgets and stuff. But I, I really wonder about the condition of who we are as a society. Are we willing to let children go out on the streets and beg for education, no matter where we are in this state? If we're okay with that, I think there's something seriously wrong. I think there's. I agree. I think there's a precedent for when the whole state comes together and recognizes that you know, something really big and important needs to happen. I mean, that happened in 2002 when the General Assembly adopted the 2002 Thornton Law, right, for education. Um, that was a huge landmark uh, piece of legislation, right, that fundamentally changed the way education was funded. And, you know, unfortunately, later on down the line, there was the big Great Recession and they had to do something. And I don't think they realized what the impact would be, you know, and, and now is really the first time that they're hearing um, that, you know, this is really a huge crisis and a lot of programs, important programs are going to be cut in the schools and we're back to fighting the basics. But I think that, you know, the more we get our message out there um, and and uh, legislators start to really understand that this is not a mismanagement management problem. Which is how the governor is right. portraying it. Right. I think he needs to spend a little bit more time with Baltimore. Um, I, I, I believe he has the capacity to really understand Baltimore's issues. Right. Um, so he needs to spend more time with Baltimore, understand what that you know, audit said in terms of, you know, that there's no gross mismanagement happening at the city at the city school system. Right. This is this is really a function of revenue and flat revenue while costs have been increasing. And 30 million of those dollars that cause a shortfall are part of the billion dollar um, investment in rehabbing and rebuilding our school's physical phys physical infrastructure. You know, and I think that's something we, people don't realize, that they, that's coming out of the operating budget. That's not extra money the school system got. That $30 million comes out of our classrooms to rebuild the schools as opposed to the state or city saying, we are going to fix the roof and fix the air conditioning system. It's not coming out of your academic budget, but it is coming out of the budget of our schools. Right. That, 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 that's absurd. That was an agreement that the city, the city school system, and the state um, negotiated back in 2013. Right. Right. I remember when all that happened, and we talked about it on right. the air then. I mean, it just mm -hmm. didn't make much sense to me then because I could see the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> it doesn't make much sense to me right now. Well, I think it's also to remember, it's important to remember that providing for the maintenance of schools is also in our state constitution. And so it's, an, it's important for us to be thinking about um, how is the state contributing towards making sure we have adequate buildings. So, folks... We want your ideas and thoughts. These are our kids. These are our schools. 410-319-8888. Please write to us here at talk at show dot, by, by email. Uh, SteinerShow.org by email, excuse me. Uh, tweet us at Mark Steiner. Log on to our Facebook pages. But 410-319-8888. Uh, we rail about all kinds of things around the police the other day. Uh, let's rail a little bit about what's happening in our schools and your thoughts about what we need to do. And... Uh, and if you're listening to us from Montgomery County, some other counties around the state, we'd love to hear your thoughts on can there a coalition be built that takes care of all of our schools at 410-319-8888, your thoughts. Uh, and at Mark Steiner, Angie Pace Kirk tweeted in, wow, in capital letters, capital letters, I didn't know Twigs was on the chopping block. Now, let me be clear about that. Now, I haven't, this is not an official statement, but this is what I've heard from people involved at various levels at that school 
who have said that that's what is being talked about is, is putting twigs on the chopping block. And for those who don't know what twigs is, twigs is a program at the Baltimore School for the Arts where middle school students from the sixth grade to the eighth grade come after school every day, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 p.m., to be taught by professional artists in music, art, theater, dance, whatever discipline they're involved with. They can be in more than one uh, during the course of a week. That's, that's in danger. Yeah, it's it's going even deeper than that. So Twigs is an after-school program, and right. there are cuts there. But BSA is looking at cuts for their daytime program as well. We had we had a student from BSA who was testifying with us in Annapolis earlier this week, and she talked about how the amount of art instruction that that they have is is looking to be absolutely gutted next year with this budget. So it goes beyond after-school to just the basics of daytime. And it, and it, and and we're also talking about a school. I mean, there are many great schools in the city, but Baltimore School for the Arts is also a school where one of my kids graduated from. I taught there for nine years. Put that out there as well. Um, uh, is one of the top three arts high schools in the United States, and we're going to allow that to happen to a school that services our children here. It's also one of the most interracial schools in our entire city in terms of its body, with the majority of kids being African American from poor working class neighborhoods in this in this city. I mean, and they're strong academically. And they're hugely strong. One of the highest rates of kids going to college of any school in the city. And, and you talked about everybody buying into this. I mean, parents, uh, small business owners, everybody should be contacting the governor because we've seen through his budgets where the priorities lie. The priorities lie in um, uh, jails, detention centers, and things like that. And if we start taking away the arts and the core academics for our students, what are we leaving them with? We're leaving them with nothing to do to to get into problems and fill the jails that he is promoting, you know, building and funding. Let's put the, the funding into education so we can build up our community, build up our students instead of waiting for them to be incarcerated. I mean, he his priorities are definitely flawed. And I agree with, I think it was Franker, um, Sharika, who said, have him come into our schools and see the condition of the buildings, see the lack of resources when you go from school to school. It, it's not that there's just everybody eating bonbons and everything's all over the place. It's not a mismanagement. It's a lack of funding. It's a lack of investment. And it's writing off a, a huge chunk of our students. And uh, William Watkins posted on a Facebook page, like I've been saying, the governor hates Baltimore City. Where the money from the, where's the money from the casino, Ravens, and other sports over 10 years? Uh, the uh, inner city, west and east Baltimore, look like a war zone. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, part of this has to be maybe rethinking the casino money, where it was put out there in the very beginning, even though it was, was never real, that casino money was dedicated to schools. Maybe legislation should be introduced saying that casino revenues should be for schools. I mean, they made $127 million this month. $127 million. <laughs> There's our gap. Right? I mean, so maybe that should be part of the things people are consider- considering in the legislature is that money, the money we get from casinos should be dedicated to adding to the funding right. for our state schools. Well, we, we definitely need a short-term fix, an immediate fix this year to fix the $130 million gap. In the future years, we're going to need, you know, before, you know, the Cur- until the Kerwin Commission recommendations um, get proposed as law, and uh, increases from that law are adopted. Um, 
you know, we're going to need a fix until that money starts to phase in. And the legislature has to think about revenue. What's what's the source of revenue? And I think casinos and everything else is on the table. I mean, it, it seems to me that politically, and it'll be interesting for me to, we can have to take a short news break here and come right back and then read these other tweets that have come in uh, from Jessica. We'll read her tweet when we come back and get to SEMA, your next caller, uh, the first caller up uh, as we look at our schools. But politically, a coalition has to be built, I think, between Montgomery County, Prince George's County, certain delegates in Howard County, Baltimore County, and Baltimore City, which could be the majority of the Senate and the House of Delegates to say we have to redo things. All right, and that's what we're going to do. For all of our schools. We'll be right back. Stay with us with our three guests as we tackle what's happening with our city schools. We cannot let them fail. Sharika Bolden's here. Frank Pantanell is here. Cheryl Bost, Bost is here. Bost is here. Excuse me, Cheryl. Bost. 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 <laughs> Bost. Excuse me, Cheryl. We'll be right back. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. I, we're talking about what's happening with our city schools, and the budget deficit, where this sits with the state. We're in the studio with Sharika Bolden, who is Community School Coordinator for Strong City Baltimore, Frank Patanella, who's Senior Advocate with the ACLU's Education Reform Project, and Cheryl Bost, who is Vice President of the Maryland State Education Association and uh, was for years a Baltimore County school teacher. And you all are 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talkatsteinershow.org. By email, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, Ashley Jessica tweeted in earlier, uh, and this is interesting, and I talked about this during the break. Why aren't advocates talking about pushing to move funding from policing to schools? Which is, we did talk about this in the air, and I think that is one of the things that we'd like to hear the mayor talk about, which is cutting the police budget and putting more money into our schools or community programs. I mean, that is, that we've got to find money somewhere. And we had this $150 million um, overtime that went to uh, the city police. And now we're finding how, what does that really mean? Why do we have to spend that overtime money? Where the, you know, who's doing the audit of the city police to say that money can come out and perhaps go to other parts of our city? Or as we said, looking at the city, school system only police force and maybe have a partnership between the city police and the school system like they do in other jurisdictions, maybe a way to carve out some of that money. An other way to a first caller, uh, a teacher called in, Jill. Uh, she's a teacher with the Baltimore Arts Education Coalition. She said, as, na- as of this moment, they only have 218 teachers to teach approximately 80,000 students in our city schools, arts teachers. 218 teachers for 80,000 students. So, and we're going to cut that. Um, and let me go to the phones, and then we'll read, Damon, your tweet about audits. We'll come to your tweet in just a moment. But 410-319-8888, Seema, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make, I think an economic argument needs to be made. Um, We talk about the tax base in Baltimore City and the way it's miscalculated by the state, certainly, Um, but also we need to be increasing the tax base also. Um, for our city to start contributing more and for our city to be less vulnerable to changes in state funding and the federal funding cuts that are down the line, for sure. Um, I think the anchor institutions like Morgan State or Hopkins or Under Armour um, need to fight for our public schools if they want to continue to recruit and retain the kind of talent that characterizes those institutions. Um, I think 
things like class sizes, which are set to, you know, balloon to 38, 35. Simi, you still there? I'm here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Those are the kind of statistics that parents, prospective families look at, Um, especially our universities. Um, Researchers, academics are typically not paid a whole lot. And so if they, if they do end up coming to Hopkins, say, they're not likely to live in the city. Um, they're likely to live in the county if our schools continue to be underfunded. Now, those are very critical points, I think. Thank you. Um, there was one other point I wanted to make about okay. the police. Um, I, I agree that um, the police force needs to be... Um, we can get a lot of funding from cutting the police force's um, budget this year. But I also think that an argument could be made that, um, and maybe in addition, that you know, they talk about how there's a thousand vacancies um, in the Baltimore Police Department. And we also have data, there's data that shows that police officers that live in the city, that they are where they are policing, are going to understand those, that city better, right. understand the residents better, and do better policing. But the police officers are not living in Baltimore City. And part of the reason, again, is chronic underfunding of our schools. Seema, uh, good, conversa- good, good thoughts, uh, very important thoughts, I think. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation of 410-319-8888. Um, and, and before we go to Melissa, our next caller, let me ask you this question. Damon W. tweeted in um, at Mark Steiner. When was the last time the Baltimore City Public Schools was audited by an outside firm? Do you have those answers, Frank? I don't have the exact date, but um, an, an audit was just released late last year, right? And I have this sheet that I got from the city schools website in front of me here. It's um, Engage Baltimore City Schools or something like that. Um, maybe that. Maybe you can provide a, a website information after yeah. the show. Um, but this, all this information is from um, the external audit, which said that the city's, city schools financial house is in order. Right, and the reports I've seen so far say that the city schools budget is in order for the most part and that there's been no, nobody has shown anywhere in any of the audits or any look at the city school budget that said that funds have been misused, that they've been taken, that they've been appropriated, misappropriated. None of that is, exists. I mean, I think that it's pretty clear where the deficit comes from. It comes from the $30 million of the construction money. It comes from uh, the costs, the, 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 the money coming into school systems not kept up with the cost of the teacher contract and pensions. Um, there, there are very clear areas where, this, where they, and the money has been less coming in, there have been less dollars coming in the school system than before. I mean, there, so there are very clear reasons why this deficit is taking place. Well, plus the fact that we've been underfunded for the last nine years. Right. So let's go back to the phones. On the way there, I will, David Miller tweeted in at Mark Stein. Let me read this. He was a frequent guest in the show. Thinking about the $130 million deficit uh, with Baltimore City Schools, imagine if we rallied for schools the way we rallied for the Ravens. <laughs> I like that image. And people are out rallying. That's great. I wish uh-huh. that we could be rallying, though, for something different, for some bold, innovative program, rather than let's try to figure out how to provide toilet paper in the basics. You know, exactly. I mean, there's a reason, as we said in the show the other day, why 
people of means who put their schools in this vast private school, public, private school system we have in the Baltimore metropolitan area pay $50,000 a year so that kids can have small class sizes, all the backup they need, all the athletics they need, and the art they need, and the music they need. And I think people are rallying like they're at a football game. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, we had easily over 2,000 people in Annapolis a couple weeks ago. Um, there's groups like uh, BEE and BUILD and um, BTU and AFT. Um, you know, there's lobby nights scheduled in Annapolis. We're going to be down there on Monday night. So if anyone wants to join us, and I don't think we mentioned that Sharika and I are the co-chairs of the Baltimore Education Coalition. And we did not mention that, but I'm glad right. you did mention that. So yes. we do <laughs> offer, you know, we we. we are trying to you know create this structure where people can get involved and make their voice heard and um, you know the rallies um, press events um, you know lobby nights in Annapolis are, are things that we do and we, we bring people in There's we have fix it the, Fridays we have fix it Fridays there's an action every Friday last week um, Sharika do you want to mention the postcard oh yeah campaign? so we had a postcard yeah. action where students across the city filled out postcards that were written to Governor Hogan and to Mayor Pugh Many of them had the opportunity to walk down to their local post office and deliver them. With their council person, right? W yes, we yes. We give credit to them. With right? their council person, uh, which yeah. was great. So so kids are getting out. They're getting involved. They're learning the democratic process. Um, I am concerned, though, that I don't want them to hear the message or to be receiving the message that investing in them is not worth it. Um, I think we as the adults have to figure this out and make sure that this cycle doesn't continue for another generation. Go back to, go I was just going to say, we also have a march Monday night, Protect Our Schools March, um, because we have a new law in the federal government, Every um, Student Succeeds Act, which will set new mandates on schools, which could increase costs for these mandates. And so we have bills in Annapolis with our coalition. And so we have a, about a thousand people coming down Monday. So please join us in Annapolis to protect our schools and, and, and fight to make sure that we can de-emphasize testing and de-emphasize these tests, which are taking a lot of this money away from our students. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Your thoughts on what school city schools are facing, what we do about it, how we build this coalition, uh, what we do to build education in our city and state. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Melissa, you're on the air. Welcome. Hello, Mark. Good morning. Good morning, and Melissa. Good morning to the folks at the ACLU. Um, one thing that hasn't been mentioned this morning that's another factor in the cost for schools is pre-K. And we've heard a lot about how early learning is so important, but all the costs for that program are placed in the local jurisdiction. So even though Baltimore City has a tremendous number of children in poverty who really need intensive early learning services, we're expected to fund that ourselves. And then a second point, just really quickly, it, it, isn't, it isn't just for me about the number that we spend on police, although that is incredible at $523 million, including overtime. Um, it's that we are the only jurisdiction in the state that spends more on policing than we do on schools. And to me, that does send a message to my daughter and to other children that we don't value them as much as we do other things in the budget. And to me, Mayor Pugh should keep her campaign promise and say unequivocally now today that she will honor her campaign promise in a written questionnaire with the AFT to increase funding for city schools in the budget. And I know that there's this back and forth, but I, as a parent, I'm real tired, real tired of people playing chicken with the education of my kid and other kids. I'm tired of the back and forth. And although I was at the rally with the 2,000 other people and happy to be there, I'm real tired of having to go to Annapolis every year to fight for what should be constitutionally guaranteed to my kids <coughs> and other kids. No, I, Melissa, I hear that. And I, I think that's, 
that's why one of the things I was, well, let, let's, let me tell the first thing you said and, and reiterate that and come to the second thing you said. The first thing you said was the money for pre-K comes out of our city school budget and not out of state. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry. Now, I mean, that, that again, talk about where money is going mm-hmm. and what could get cut even further, which is a critical need for our, for our kids who are three and four and five years old to be in these pre-K programs. Um, that's in danger. Right. The state mandates a half-day uh, pre-K program for eligible kids. So these are students that qualify for free and reduced meals, <coughs> homeless students, and English language learners. The city school system, um, I think, rightfully chose to fund a full-day pre-K program citywide. And most of the students in Baltimore City are free and reduced meal students, um, you know, close to 90%. So. This is a huge service that the school system has provided, and they're not getting per-pupil funding for that. And this is actually one of the things that we've been pushing on um, the ACLU in Annapolis uh, for years, and the Kerwin Commission is recommending it. And if you look at the results, um, you know, for those that think Baltimore City Schools is a disaster, um, city school students are now entering kindergarten um, scoring higher than the statewide (coughs) average on the kindergarten readiness test. So these investments are working. That's an important. Sorry, something's in my throat. I apologize. (laughs) Bad for talk show host. But the other part, going back to, I started this out earlier, and I was thinking about what Melissa just said. I mean, to me, you know, the rallies are effective. They can be very effective, and they can express political will. But I keep thinking again about this coalition statewide that has to happen for this to happen. I mean, supposing there were not just two thousand, three thousand people from Baltimore City there. Mm But supposing you, right. that there was some coalition built with Baltimore County, Montgomery mm-hmm. County parents and teachers. So there are tens of thousands of people standing outside in Annapolis saying, yeah. this is absurd. We want money for our schools across the state. Right. Baltimore needs money for its students. <clears throat> we need money for our students. It has to be a priority. I mean, supposing that was something that was being built. And so because Baltimore can be isolated in this, which, you know, saying sets it apart as opposed to being part of something that says we need, this money should come here, but it's part of a larger picture. Well, if you look at the adequacy gap, you know, Baltimore City is 290 million, right? Um, Shortfall from adequate funding. Prince George's County is somewhere closer to 500 million. So, and and there are other districts that are falling short of adequate funding. So there there are going to be allies. And, you know, just like we did in 2002 to pass the Thornton Law, where tens of thousands of people did come out, um, we're going to do that again. I was going to say this is a, the Education Coalition is uh, folks that we work with as well because we do see this as a statewide need. And as Frank has mentioned, the Kerwin Commission will be working and we're going to have to get folks out even next year to say that the Kerwin Commission gets funded and that we put the money up for public education because we're still working off of very old formulas and very old statistics. We have to ramp up the education funding. And I would say if you're listening, if you're If you are a parent in another county, if you're a business owner, if you are wondering how to get involved, uh, reach out to us, the Baltimore Education Coalition. We mentioned that we have these actions every Friday, um, and we'll be having some specific things that those outside of Baltimore City can do to help support this. So connect with us on our Facebook page, and we are happy for your support. So uh, what are the options that Sonia Santelisas has in all this? I mean, we, you know, I've heard some people kind of dumping this on her doorstep, which really shouldn't, I think, be dumped at her doorstep because she had this dumped at her doorstep when she took the job. Um, so what, what, what are her options? What are the options here? 
I mean, you said April. You, you mentioned April first. Yeah. Which, which is when she has to make her budget for the coming year. Right. And she's looking at a thousand layoffs across the district. I mean, she the district has done what they can to um, to try to reduce costs by cutting at the central office already. Um, and now it has to go out into the schools. That's what we're forced to look at right now. Right. But so since 2008, right? Right. you got to get in the mic. So we oh. can since um, 2008, when the uh, <laughs> inflation factor of the uh, Thornton Law was cut, um, there had been right um, um, shortfalls right every year, and they, they've had to balance the budget every year, and they've been doing that at central office. So I think people at the school level just haven't felt it, right? They're, they're not paying too much attention. The principals are worried about their schools, and their, their budgets are mostly okay, um, or at least maintained from the prior year. But there's no more cuts, is what we're hearing, at central office to make. And these cuts are now going to hit the classrooms. So after nine years of flat funding, this is where we've come to. Yeah, the audits have not only said that the books are in order, they've also said that the structure that Baltimore City Schools is using um, is good, that we're on par with other peer districts. So we don't have a bloated central office. We don't have too many folks there. They've, they've gotten down to the bare minimum already. So there are no further cuts to make. So, I, so strategically, I, I, we're now, it's now March the 8th, International Women's Day. Women's strike is today, uh, day without a woman. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I, I'm, and so you have we have just a tad less than a month actually, about a month left in this session. So this has to be done fairly soon. There is an urgency with the General Assembly since we only have a 90-day session to see what we can do. But it's going to take a partnership between the city, the state, and everyone to to see that this gets fixed. I mean, is there any inkling that the that the governor is budging on his thoughts about Baltimore City doesn't know what it's doing, and that that uh, um, that this is a you know the city's problem of mismanagement? Because we, we don't know what happened with this meeting between Mayor Pugh and Governor Hogan. That happened. Was it yesterday that happened? Earlier this week. It was. It was yesterday oh, okay. where they met. Yep. Any sense of what's going on with that? Does anybody know anything? We There's, haven't. We haven't heard anything. The mayor's name made no comments publicly. I haven't heard any. No. So, I mean, so, uh, so what are your next steps? We're going to continue with our actions, right? We're going to, uh, there's a lot of other groups, um, there's a lot of other groups taking action too in Baltimore City. So, um, you know, follow the Baltimore Education Coalition on a Facebook page. Um, um, follow the ACLU of Maryland's uh, Twitter account. We're always posting about things that we learn, about things that we can do. Um, we have actions coming up and, you know, we just need to get, um, you know, keep people involved, right? And, um, you know, people are angry and they, they, need a, they need a way to focus their anger and, you know, make their demand. And the elected officials have to hear us. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have to keep the action going. We'll have to keep the momentum going, not only to address this current deficit, but also to keep careful watch on the new formula that's going to be in place. And so we'll need to come together as a community, um, really dig into that formula and make sure it's going to adequately provide for students across the state. What? Ahead, I was going to sure. say, we've seen people wake up to education, whether it was the DeVos appointment at the federal level. Um, people by far now know who the Secretary of Education is. We need people to wake up and every day call their legislators, call their congresspeople, call their senators, because we can't let it fall, as, as Sharika said. It, 
not just when you're angry, but when you have that two minutes that you're sitting at home, call them. Tell them about the importance of education. The callers and the tweeters have brought up excellent points about how they feel about their children and their education. And it has to be a, a continuous effort to put education at the top. I heard someone say that um, Mayor Pugh has to keep her campaign promise. All of our elected officials have to keep campaign promises and keep education at the forefront and put the money where their mouth is um, in those promises. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was March the 1st, the mayor said it'll be two weeks before we know what to do with the schools. Um, and I, I, you know, clearly there must be resting inside City Hall knowing that the pressure's on to figure out where this money's gonna come from and what it comes what 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 uh, where you pull the money from? There aren't too many places where the city pull the money from, right? You know, and we're talking about eighty percent of these cuts will be on the backs of the individual schools themselves. Eighty percent of this money, right? Um, so um, I, I'm just well, but maybe we'll have to give a call to the mayor's office and see where they are with this and what uh, and and where they're going to take this. So I'm I'm so you know I it. it it, to me, it's a pretty frightening situation that we're in. It, I mean, it's a very frightening situation we're in. It's an erosion of public schools. I mean, if we look back, we used to be ranked number one nationally for our public schools. The state schools. The state. And now we've moved to five. And it's just a complete erosion and lack of priorities I see on the governor's part for our public education, especially when he puts in uh, bad charter legislation that luckily was killed recently and and um, funds for vouchers and scholarships. We have to focus on our public education. And this is the problem we're going to have of attracting families to live in our jurisdictions, especially Baltimore City. And we have a retention issue with teachers as class sizes go up and this constant having to march and beg for money is not a place where we're going to get quality teachers administrators and the like to stay and and be the best educators for our students. So folks, um, how to contact the Baltimore Education Coalition? Start there. Baltimore Ed Coalition at gmail.com. So I want to thank them. The, the two co-chairs of the Baltimore Education Coalition have been with us, Sharika Bolden, who is Community School Coordinator for Strong City Baltimore, and Frank Pantanella, who is Senior Advocate for the ACLU's Education Reform Project, and Cheryl Bost, who is Vice President of the Maryland State Education Association. Thank the three of you for all your time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back from this break, we'll be joined by the President of the NEA. We taped a conversation with her yesterday to hear her talking about education on a national level. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you.